0: Father, we thank you for the many, many gifts that you have given us. We thank you for Rose and for Kristen and for, for family members, Lord, this past year who have gone, um, those who believers have gone to be with you and uh, we'll miss them. We pray for the families, Lord, who are going through some challenging times, sometimes a first holiday, and I, and I pray, Lord, that you would, you would minister to them and you would comfort them. Be with us today, Lord, as we look at your work. Teach us as only you can do. We have absolutely nothing to say unless you speak. We can't hear unless you open our ears. Our hearts are hardened unless you soften them. Lord, we are asking that you do your work today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're involved in a series of sermons on the life of Jesus. And during the Christmas season, we have focused on on one part of one gospel, the gospel of John, and we've looked at the introduction to the gospel of John, the first 18 verses, John 1, 1 through 18. This this introduction gives us the most complete description of the person of Jesus found anywhere in Scripture. So I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John in chapter 20 uh, will tell us why he wrote his gospel. He, um, he could have written, he said many things about Jesus. He was one of the Lord's disciples, so he saw many things Jesus did. But he wanted to make sure that people understood that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one that we've been waiting for, the one who can satisfy our life and bring meaning to our life. And believing in Him, we could have eternal life. And that's why John chose the things he put in his book. But before he ever did that, before he told one story, one event about Jesus, he said, I want you to know who He is. So when you're reading those stories, I want you to see and I want you to know who He is. And so he gives us this this rich theological introduction, this rich theological essay, treatise, about the person of Jesus. What I want to do to begin is for us to read this responsively. There are passages of Scripture that you need just to let wash over your mind and let wash over your heart and read over and over again. We've been doing that during this Christmas series. So let's read it. I'll do the leader. You do the all. John 1, 1 through 18. You ready? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. him, children. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor husband's will, but born of God. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, John begins in verse 1 by introducing us to Jesus Christ, and he calls Him, he uses a strategic title, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the Greek word logos, and John chooses it, again, very strategically. For the Greek, the word logos was the in the Greek philosophers the central principle behind the universe, the, the reason behind the universe. So the, so the Greeks had a specific thing regarding logos. But the Jews understood logos as well. When they thought of the word logos, they would go back to the Old Testament and they would think of the Word of God. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word was debar. And throughout the Old Testament, we saw the Word of God, the Word of God over and over. It was the Word of God that established covenants. It was the Word of God that communicated the law. It was was the Word of God that came through the prophets. It was the Word of God that provided guidance. It was a lamp to one's feet, a light to one's path. In Genesis, God spoke the world into existence. It was the Word of God that carried with it an active power. And so God said, let there be light. And what happened? Just like that. There was light. And when God spoke, action occurred. In Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. So John uses this word logos to describe Christ. It relates to the Greek. It relates to the Jew. He wants to make sure everyone understands that Jesus Christ is the word. He is the central person of the universe. He is the very expression of God. If you want to know who God is, just look at Jesus. So far, John has told us seven things about Jesus. He said the Word is eternal. In the beginning was a Word. He said the Word was equal to God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was the Creator. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. Not only physical life that He gave us, not only abundant life, but eternal life. Uh, In that life was the light of men. He was the one who revealed the way to God, and He was the way to God. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed on His name, He gave the right, He gave the authority, He gave the power to become sons and daughters, children of God. Now, during Christmas, we love to tell the Christmas stories, don't we? And Matthew and Luke tell us the stories that we normally tell around Christmas. Both of those Gospels together tell us that uh, there was a, a young girl named Mary. And uh, she was engaged to a man named Joseph. And one day an angel came to her and said, Mary, you're going to be with child. And she said, there's no way that can be. I've never known a man. And the angel said, the, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And, and remember the angel said, nothing is impossible with God. Joseph was going to put her away. His, his, the the lady he's engaged to, the girl he's engaged to, is pregnant. He doesn't know what happened. He knew it wasn't him. But an angel comes to, to Joseph and says, Joseph, this is the Son of God, so you take Mary to be your wife. A, a, a census was put out throughout the whole region. And uh, Joseph had to go back to register where his family was from. He was from the line of David. David was from Bethlehem, so they had to go to Bethlehem. And there in Bethlehem, it was so crowded because everyone was back to register. They couldn't find a place, no room for them. And so they found this place. It was probably think of a think of a um, think of a, a, a rock, uh, think of a mountain, think of a rock. And there's a dug back into the rock is this kind of a cavern, probably what that what it was, a place to keep cattle. And there that night, Jesus was born. She so gave birth to a son, wrapped him in cloths placed him in a manger. Now, John's Christmas story is a lot shorter, but it's just as powerful. Look at verse 14. Here's John's Christmas story. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word became... This eternal creator, the one who put everything in place... The eternal God who's always existed, He became flesh. Remember in John, the Word was, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And now, John comes back in verse 14 with the Word again and he says, The Word became flesh. As one writer says, Christ entered a new dimension of existence through the gateway of human birth. God through human birth became flesh. This is the essential truth of the Christian faith. Take, away, take this away, and you can just fold up your Bible, put it on the shelf, and never read it again. The incarnation is essential. God incorporated in flesh. So we need to understand what that means. Taking on flesh does not mean that God, the, 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 the Spirit of God, indwelt a shell of a body. It doesn't mean that God just just wrapped himself in in flesh like like we would put on on clothes. When John says God became flesh, he is saying that, that God became entirely human. A human body and a human spirit. Body and soul. Body and spirit. He got hungry, and he ate. He got thirsty, and he drank. He got tired, and he slept. His, he, he experienced emotion. We read sometimes that he rejoiced, or he marveled at something, or that in the temple he was moved to anger, or we see him moved to compassion. Standing at a dead man's tomb, uh, John says that he was deeply moved, and he wept. And before the cross, he was, he was troubled in spirit. God took on full humanity with just one exception. What was it? He never sinned. Tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. There's an old writer. If you haven't read this guy, you need to write him, read him. J.C. Ryle. And he explains the incarnation as well as I've ever heard it claim. Just think about these words. Good stuff here. J.C. Ryle. The union of the two natures in Christ's one person is doubtless one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian religion. It needs to be carefully stated. We must never forget that though our Lord was God and man at the same time, the divine and human natures in Him were never confounded. One nature did not swallow up the other. The two natures remained perfect and distinct. The divinity of Christ was never a moment laid aside. The manhood of Christ during his lifetime was never for a moment unlike our own, though by union with the Godhead greatly dignified. Though perfect God, Christ has always been man from the moment of his incarnation. Though perfect man, Christ never ceased to be perfect God. Though he became flesh in the fullest sense, he never at any period ceased to be the eternal word, the incarnation. The word became flesh, fully God, fully man. And John says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh, and he made his dwelling. John strategically chooses this word. It means this. He pitched his tent. He pitched his tent among us. He he, he came and he dwelled temporarily among us. Now, John chose that word strategically. As he says, the word... Uh, pitched his tent among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. If you were a Jewish reader reading this, that would have clicked something in your mind and you would have remembered a time in the Old Testament when the glory of God descended on what? On a tent. They called it the tent of meeting or a tabernacle. During the wandering of Israel in the Old Testament, God led them in the form of a cloud by day, so they could see it, in the form of a pillar of fire by night, so they could move at night. And whenever the cloud settled, they pitched a tent, the tent of meeting, and the cloud came over the tent. Read about it in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 40, here's what it says. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So in the Old Testament, God came down in the form of a cloud and and people saw his glory. I don't know what it would have looked like. There's not a description. But people knew God was settled on the tent. So here's what John does. He uses the word, pitched his tent to say this now the glory of god is in the person of jesus christ god has pitched his tent in jesus and jesus has come and he pitched his tent among us he moved into our neighborhood and we have seen his glory we've seen him walk on water john says i saw it with my eyes i watched him he's god Over nature, power over nature. He walked on water. John says, I saw him calm a storm. We thought we were going to drown. He stood up and said, peace, be still. And the storm was calmed. John says, I watched him feed over 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. I watched him touch the eyes of the blind and they could see for the first time. Lame could walk disease, lepers made whole. I even watched him raise the dead. A little girl, a widow's son, and this man named Lazarus walked right out from the tomb. What's even more amazing, I saw him on the cross. I stood at the bottom of the cross. I watched him die. I watched his body go limp. I watched him give up his spirit, and I've seen him alive. In Him, in Jesus, John says, is the glory of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now that great truth begs a question, doesn't it? Why is this truth so important to the Christian faith? As Christians, we've got to be able to answer that. Man, this Christmas, we can tell people, not about the gifts. It's not about, you know, all the shopping. It's not about all that stuff. It's about the Word becoming flesh. And here's why it's so important. If you're a student of Scripture, it's always important not just to know the truth, but to know why. If you have young kids, you know they drive you crazy. Well, they just drive you crazy. I could stop there, right? (laughs) But they drive you crazy asking the question, why? Those of you who have young kids or those of you who can remember, I remember the kids always asking, why does that happen? Why are the stars like up in the sky? Or why is this over there? Garrison would always, my son, one of our four, would always ask these questions. And, uh, and he would, he, would, he would go off on this route, and so I'd go study that a little bit, and then he was on to something else. So I could never keep up with him. I could never answer the why questions. And I remember one day we were watching the Steelers game a Sunday afternoon. I was laying on the couch, and he would always, he would always get on top of me and ask questions. Why did they do that? Why did they do that? I was just trying to watch the game. Why did they do that? Why did they do that? <laughs> and then one day he said, so what if they, they punt it and someone shoots the ball in midair? Whose ball is it? So I'm thinking, I have no idea. And that's a twisted question you're asking me there. I shared that with someone and they said, it, it's called a dead ball foul. So it's important we ask why questions. And here's a nugget of truth. We, we have to understand the reasons behind it. Three reasons as we prepare for communion. Number one, the word became flesh to show us the person of God. God loved us so much. He said, look, you can look up in the sky and you can see my glory. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. You can look all around you and see my beautiful creation, but I want you to see me in person. I want you to hear my words. I want you to see my actions. I want you to know how much I care for you. I'm going to take on flesh and reveal my person to you. Turn over to John 14. Great story. Jesus is getting ready to, to... He's preparing the disciples for the cross. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going I'm to come again. And then, you, and then you can be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm, come, where I'm going. And then in verse 5, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And then Jesus said in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you knew me, you would know what? My Father as well. From now on, you do know Him and have seen Him. And then Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Now you got to hear just a little bit of frustration in Jesus' voice when He says, Don't you know, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen what? He's seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? And he goes on to say, Philip, if you can't get it from what I'm saying, look at the stuff I'm doing. I'm revealing the glory of God. Of God. When you see Jesus, you've seen the glory of God. John says he came to us full of glory and full of grace and full of truth. Jesus is the greatest possible expression of God's grace as he offers us the free gift by his death on the cross. Jesus is the most perfect way of conveying God's truth as he shows us the way to eternal life. The reason for Christmas, the Word became flesh, is to show us the person of God. Number two, the Word became flesh to experience human life. Think about it. God had created everything. Nothing was in existence that He didn't create. Yet He had never experienced what it was like to walk on earth as a human. And so He took on human flesh. Experiencing humanity in every way with one exception, what? He never sinned. Through the incarnation, Jesus understands. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you can't wait for Christmas or you're dreading it. I don't know if you've had your greatest week or your worst. I don't know what anxiety or emotions or grief... Or joy fills your heart. I don't know, but I know God does. And he understands. He understands rejection if you're going through that. Came to his own, John says, but his own did not receive him. There's a great story when Jesus is, the Feast of the Tabernacles is going to take place. And Jesus is up in Nazareth, sparsely populated area, up in kind of the backwoods of Israel. And his brothers sarcastically say, Hey, you're this great miracle worker. Why don't you go down to Jerusalem so everyone can see your miracles? Why do you stay up here and so few people see them go down to Jerusalem if you're this great miracle worker? And then John says, even his brothers did not believe in him. Think about that. Those who grew up with him at that point didn't believe in him. Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. The disciples ran from him in the garden. When he needed them the most. He was alone. Jesus understands loss. Most commentators. Believe that Joseph died at some point. Early in Jesus' life. We never read of Joseph again. Really after the birth narrative. And so Jesus knew what it was. To put his arm around his mom. And walk away from a grave as she is sobbing at the loss of the love of her life. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus understands loss. Jesus understands pain for sure. When people would look at individuals being crucified and they would see the agony that they were going through, the pain unbearable sometimes languishing for days on the cross. They didn't have a word to describe the pain. And so they coined a phrase, just for the agony of the cross. You know what it is? Excruciate. Out of the cross. You going through some physical pain? Jesus understands. How about temptation? Now I know everyone here is tempted. Every single one of us. And my temptation may be worse, or maybe, my temptation may be worse than yours. <laughs> my temptation may be different than yours, for sure. You're tempted in one area, I'm tempted in another, but we all face temptation. And sometimes we think to ourselves, man, when am I going to stop being tempted by that? It just keeps on coming, doesn't it? Dogs us. Jesus understands temptation. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Check this out, Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest, this is verse 15. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who is tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. So so what does that mean for us? Look at verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. We have one now sitting on the throne, walked in our shoes. The word made flesh, dwelt among us, tempted in every way. Now sitting at the right hand of, Jesus, of God, the Father, so we can approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is there saying, I, I get it. I know what that temptation is like. And he gives us the grace and help in our time of need. Jesus understands what it's like to walk on this earth. He came to reveal the Father. He came to understand humanity. And number three, the Word became flesh to pay the penalty for our sin by his physical death on the cross. See, all of us have sinned fall short of the glory of God. No way we can work our way to God. I don't care how good you are or how good you think you are. You cannot be good enough for God. The Old Testament, Isaiah says, your your, your best effort on your best day is like filthy rags to God. It doesn't even register. You can pile up all your good works. You are still falling short. We cannot get to God on our own. Because of our sin, we deserve death. Spiritual, physical, eternal death. The moment Adam and Eve disobeyed, they started dying. Spiritual death took over. They started dying physically. Without God, they die eternally. So would it be possible for someone to die for us? He would have to be a man, right? He can only substitute, can only die a substitute death for a man if you are a man. But it'd have to be different than us because I gotta die for my own sins. I can't die for your sins, and you can't die for mine. I gotta die for my own. So he would have to be a man, but he would have to be a perfect man. He would have to be fully God, fully man. And he was the only one who could die on a cross for our sins was Jesus Christ. That separates him from everyone else. He is not one way to God or a good way to God. He is the only way you can have a relationship with the living God. Hebrews chapter 2 says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, He might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The writer goes on to say, he died to make atonement for our sins. He died to cover our sins. The only one who can pay the penalty of sin is the word who became flesh and pitched his tent. Among us. So communion is a time when we remember what Jesus has done. We take the bread, we take the cup, and we remember that excruciating death that Jesus died on the cross. And we know that He did that to pay for our sins, and we do it in thanksgiving. If you're a believer, you are welcome to take communion with us today as it's passed. Ken Gorton will come, one of our elders will come and lead us in that in just a second. If you're not a believer, today's the day. If you're not a believer, what are you waiting for? Today's the day when you can trust in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have that relationship with God. As we prepare our hearts for communion, we, we, we like to think about the Christmas story, right? We talk about Mary and, and the baby. Uh, let's move from the manger to Mary at the cross. And listen to these words from uh, Ken Geyer in his great book, Intimate Moments with the Savior. Listen to these as we prepare for communion. As Mary stares at the cross, it blurs in a teary mist. Deep down inside, Mary knew that Jesus was a child born to die. In pools of tears swim a few tender memories. His birth in that cold, dark stable in Bethlehem, how he shivered as he, she held him for the first time, so tiny and helpless, how her song lulled him to sleep, and how when she kissed his forehead, he looked so peaceful, without a care in the world. Then the cross comes into focus again. She looks up at her son and aches. He is naked, and there is no one to warm him. He is thirsty, and there's no one to wet his lips. He's tired, and there's no one to sing him to sleep. His forehead is wrinkled in agony, and there's no one to kiss it, no one to mop his care-ridden brow. What did my son ever do to deserve this, she wonders. A mother's love, that's why she's there. A Savior's love, that's why he is love never looked like this. Pools of blood beating the dirt beneath the cross. A Heavy spike through the feet. Ribs protruding against the skin. Open wounds bothered by flies. Eyes swollen with fever. Hair matted from the morning's thorns. Hands raised to God on splintered wood. A slumped torso dangling from impaled wrists. And then suddenly Mary... Realizes the word became flesh. Suddenly, Mary realizes he is about his father's business. Isaiah says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed.